Welcome to the What's What Weekly Wrap-Up. Today's show focuses exclusively on this week's features from the WFUV Newsroom. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. Every month, the What's What podcast brings you Fordham Conversations. In this month's installment, WFUV's Isabel Danzis sat down with author and journalist Raj Tani about his new book, Colorful Palette. They discussed the importance of food and culture in Tani's multi-ethnic childhood, growing up in an Indian, Italian, and Puerto Rican family. Could you just maybe start by giving the audience a brief description or a brief synopsis of what A Colorful Palette is? Yeah, Colorful Palette is a memoir. Um, It's about my life in New York and growing up with these three very distinct, beautiful cultures and um, and how special uh, it was uh, and how closely knit my family was growing up and how food connected us, while at the same time also exploring the pains and the difficulty uh, that I experienced growing up uh, as a multiracial American. Why is food a good mechanism to talk about these topics that sometimes can be a little bit more difficult? Food is a great gateway into understanding a person's culture because everyone has to eat. Sometimes that food can be intimidating if you don't, if you aren't uh, familiar with it. But if someone is personally offering something that they created, um, it's kind of like a olive branch, so to speak, of allowing people to enter your culture and experience it, it firsthand. And then the goal is that someone can get to know another person in their culture. Maybe for families who are multicultural or have a lot of different identities within them, why is food specifically important for those types of people? Food is something that's carried over from someone's country of origin or cultural background. And it's something that's passed down as kind of like a family heirloom. So for me, food in my family was so special because it wasn't just what we were eating is that each meal told a story. Each meal had a story behind it. If my Puerto Rican and Italian mother is cooking Indian food, it took me a long time to figure out why was she cooking it? Well, there was a whole journey as to how she married my father and the kind of the plight that it took her to not only learn the dish, but gain acceptance in the Indian community through that food. Why is it important to share stories like these of people who come to the U.S. and maybe, you know, as you say, have a melting pot family? I think it's important to share these stories because a lot of the people I grew up around in New York were never just one thing. You know, we were we all come from somewhere and we all come at this point in American history come from many places. So even though people aren't necessarily the three cultural backgrounds that I am, I hope what I'm bringing to the table is to say that it's it's okay that things are neat and perfect. We're not just people who can easily be shoved into one category. Could you talk a little bit about the experience of actually writing this book? What was it kind of like looking back at memories and food and connecting them? It was really emotionally taxing. Uh, I loved revisiting those stories and kind of taking a time machine back into my childhood home and in my grandmother's apartment in the Bronx. But it was also very painful because I feel like I'm just perpetually melancholy for those days as a child and standing by the stove and cooking with my grandma and my mom. And even though it was a very confusing childhood and it was complicated, you know, as you'll read in the book, 
I think that every time I wrote and sat down to work on a chapter or a recipe, I, I felt drained afterward. That was WFUV's Isabel Danzis talking to Raj Tani about his memoir, Colorful Palette, which comes out on October 3rd. Republicans gathered in California this week to participate in the second GOP presidential debate. And to recap all that action, I sat down with WFEV political reporter Jay Doherty to discuss the latest developments and what's turning into a hotly contested GOP presidential race. So last night's debate began with the discussion centering around the recent auto workers' strike in Detroit. Where did the Republican candidates stand on this issue? Well, David, during the first part of the debate, all the candidates on stage found common ground in one area, their disagreement with President Biden. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, among others, pointed fingers at Biden's spending bills as an indirect cause of the strike. Vivek Ramaswamy even went as far to suggest that protesters should be demonstrating outside the White House instead of the car companies General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie took a more populist stance, placing blame on, in his words, every lawmaker in D.C., But the real standout moment in this section came when Florida Governor Ron DeSantis changed the topic without much prompting and used the opportunity to call out Donald Trump for not being present on stage. Where's Joe Biden? He's completely missing in action from leadership. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record. As DeSantis was speaking, Trump was in Michigan delivering a speech to striking auto workers. But this moment from DeSantis was just the beginning of his more assertive approach last night. As you may recall, DeSantis hesitated in the first debate to critique the former president on stage. Now let's dive into the next major part of the debate, the southern border. It's no secret that immigration is a hot-button issue among Republicans, but how did the candidates handle questions about it on stage? I think it's fair to say that the flashiest moment from this section again came with criticism of President Trump, this time from former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Donald Trump failed on this as well. He said he was going to build a wall across the whole border. He built 52 miles of wall and said Mexico would pay for it. Guess what? I think if Mexico knew that he was only going to build 52 miles, they might have paid for the 52 miles. So there were a few interesting moments during the discussion when the candidates were trying to stand out on the border issue. Ron DeSantis brought up China and their recent investments in South America, suggesting that this might be driving more people up north towards the border. Nikki Haley jumped on that and suggested that the U.S. should maybe rethink how it gives foreign aid to certain South American countries. And then there was Vivek Ramaswamy, who made quite a statement. He said outright that he does not support birthright citizenship. And what's kind of intriguing is that Vivek has said in numerous interviews that his own father is not a U.S. citizen, and yet Vivek himself was born right here in the United States. All right, so let's talk about this moment after that first commercial break. Candidates came back out on stage. They talked about gun violence. What made that section stand out? Well, I think it's safe to say that Vivek Ramaswamy and Mike Pence had the most unique answers to questions about gun violence, and they both had to do with prevention and deterrence. Ramaswamy steered the conversation in the direction of social media, saying that teen social media addiction must be closely monitored. 
It's also our job to make sure that 17-year-olds don't turn to Percocet via Snapchat. We have to bring back mental health care in this country, not with pumping pharmaceuticals, but with faith-based approaches that restore purpose and meaning in the next generation of Americans. Many of them are getting it through social media. And this isn't a Republican point or a Democrat point, but if you're 16 years old or under, you should not be using an addictive social media product, period. And then another distinctive moment was when Mike Pence suggested he would create an expedited death penalty for mass shooters. I am sick and tired of these mass shootings happening in the United States of America. And if I'm president of the United States, I'm going to go to the Congress of the United States and we're going to pass a federal expedited death penalty for anyone involved in a mass shooting so that they will meet their fate in months, not years. These two answers illuminate how the GOP is trying to balance their love for the Second Amendment with the goal of preventing tragic incidents whenever possible. All right, Jay, let's wrap it up with your closing thoughts. What stood out to you as the recurring themes of this debate? And what's the big takeaway from the second round, in your opinion? Well, I noticed an interesting trend during the debate where candidates had to perform some political acrobatics across different topics. For instance, in the healthcare discussion, Mike Pence accused his former running mate, Donald Trump, of consolidating too much power in the executive branch. But then later, he tried to take credit for the immigration policies of the Trump administration. Uh, Vivek's criticism of social media companies is a bit ironic when one considers that a significant part of his campaign success actually has come from TikTok and other platforms. This is one of the many back-and-forth, flip-flopping moments throughout the debate. Obviously, hypocrisy is nothing new in politics, but what is new is that these debates themselves will likely not have much impact as we head into the 2024 election. Despite the fact that none of the moderators or candidates directly mentioned the 91 criminal counts the former president was charged with, it is safe to say that Trump holds a commanding lead in the GOP right now. Ultimately, it's the voters who will decide this year's Republican nomination. And we'll be watching very closely along the way. Jay Doherty is a political reporter at WFEV. Jay, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. And that's our show for today. But you can check out the What's What weekly wrap-up every week for more features exclusively from the WFUV Newsroom. And make sure to check out the WFUV What's What daily podcast every weekday at 3 for the latest local news and feature stories from FUV. And as always, you can find out more at WFUVnews.org. I'm David Escobar. And I'm Christina Lulich. And that's What's What.